lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin are here with me as well. And if you'd like to let us know who you are or let us know what you think about what we think, Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. And then check us out on the various socials out there. Like us on Gab, uh, Facebook, MeWe, uh, Look for Steve Dace in all of those places. Follow me at Steve Dace on Parlor. That's the one place, remember, that from now going forward, we'll post it at other places too. But the one place you're going to know going forward, you're going to get all of our updated uh, COVID panic porn debunking uh, is at Parlor at Steve Dace. And then you can follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you are looking for clips of the program that you can watch for free, sample yourself, and then hopefully you'll share them with others. Go to YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. That's YouTube.com slash Steve Dace or Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Again, Rumble.com, <clears throat> pardon me, slash Steve Dace Show. All right, coming up a little bit later on in the program today. Oh, let me remind you of this before I forget. The time is running out. It ends this week. Our biggest discount ever for Blaze TV in the overtime today, which is a mini bonus episode that we record after the live program and is only for Blaze TV subscribers. That's just a, a, a portion of all the exclusive content we do each day here at Blaze TV, just for our subscribers. In the overtime today, we're going to be discussing why Rand Paul is a hero of the Republic. If you want to watch that today, good news. If you're already a Blaze TV subscriber, blazetv.com slash dace. That's where you're going to be able to watch it after we record it later this afternoon. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, please take advantage of that biggest discount ever. At blazetv.com slash dace. It expires at the end of this week. Blazetv.com slash dace. All right, coming up on the show today, we'll continue going through my book, A Nefarious Carol, for Theology Thursday. We'll play a game that we play each week called Three Non-Political Questions. At the bottom of the hour, Rachel Bovard is going to join us. Uh, she is with the Conservative Policy Institute. We're going to get into the Equity Act and what that means. But before we touch on all of those various topics and zany hijinks are permitted to ensue, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by The Rainbow. A new Gallup survey released yesterday finds the number of Americans identifying as one of the colors on the rainbow flag has exploded in the last near decade. Close to one in five Gen Zers, that's the generation after millennials, identify as LGBT. That's a fourfold increase from Generation X, where only about 4% identify as LGBT. But the biggest increase comes from those who say they identify as transgender or bisexual. Bisexual. Of the Americans claiming a bisexual identity, the vast majority say they're in long-term relationships with opposite-sex partners. In fact, nearly 10 times more people who identify as bisexual say they've got a long-term opposite-sex partner than those who say they have a same-sex partner. Perhaps the most shocking is that amongst millennials and Gen Zers, more of those generations now identify as transgender than they do as lesbian. Meanwhile, in Congress, as Americans wait for their third coronavirus stimulus check, two congresswomen are putting up dueling messages inside their congressional office hallways in support of and opposition to the Equality Act. 
Congresswoman Marie Newman set up a transgender flag next to her state's flag, while freshman Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene put up a sign next door that reads, there are two genders, male and female. Trust the science. According to new data from Echelon Insights, amongst Republican voters, illegal immigration, lack of support in the police, high taxes, media bias, and moral decline are the top five concerns. Amongst Democrat voters, however, their top five concerns are Donald Trump supporters, white nationalism, systemic racism, gun violence, and health care. MSNBC contributor Jason Johnson is concerned new domestic terrorism laws popping up across the country could end up being used against Black Lives Matter. Comparing what happened on January 6th to what happened last summer is completely conflating the issue. What happened last summer is mostly peaceful protesters who were attacked by police officers. What's really problematic about this law is not just the things that Brittany mentioned, but at the core of it, who on earth determines when something moves from a peaceful protest to a riot? In completely unrelated news, the Black Lives Matter Foundation raked in over $90 million in donations last year. That's according to the Associated Press. In other news, it's officially less repressive to go to public school in the United Kingdom than it is to shop at Costco next door. Schools Minister Nick Gibb announced today compulsory mask wearing and COVID testing will not be mandated when pupils return to class on March 8th. Things continue to go downhill for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo yesterday. Former Cuomo aide Lindsey Boylan, who had previously accused the governor of sexual harassment, reiterated those allegations and produced receipts purportedly proving her allegations and the context surrounding them. Cuomo denied once again that he sexually harassed anybody. The high school band in Wenatchee and Eastmont, Washington, has a unique way of practicing. If by unique, you mean clinically insane. Each member of the band practices in small tents so as to protect themselves from the spread of coronavirus. I mean, these pictures, man. And this poor kid with the sousaphone. More dispatches from our home base of Iowa, a free state. The entire state legislature this week passed a bill shoring up election integrity in the state. The bill passed the Senate on Tuesday and the House yesterday. Yesterday, that would cut down on the early voting period, the time to request an absentee ballot, places limits on county auditors, changes voting hours, requires absentee ballots to arrive by election day, and limits ballot drop boxes. The bill now heads to Governor Kim Reynolds to sign into law. Tweet from Time Magazine, quote, No president has entered the White House with as clear of a focus on Alzheimer's disease as Joe Biden. And finally this, I want to say from the get-go, I have been unable to verify the authenticity of the following video, but I want it to be real, and that's what matters. Leave me alone. Why do you keep following me? It's honestly so uh, creepy, and I'm going to call the cops. Man, no, no. Because you guys aren't leaving me alone, and that's why women can't go out in the world by themselves because of guys like you. (laughs) What? Okay? So stop following me. You have? I don't don't know if you have like a gas problem. You have a thing hanging out of your car. What are you talking about? There's a literally a gas hose hanging out of your car. No one's being creepy. No, thank you. I guess. Thank you, Mary. Uh, shit, there's the thank you. That's. Uh, oh, she's what? She's taking it with oh, her. She doesn't have to get all of it. <laughs> wow, dude. And that's what happened while we were away. Here's the thing about that video. Given the caring we've all been exposed to in the past year, we know that it could be true. Correct. You know what I'm saying? Yes. In fact, if, if you put no disclaimer out there, and just ran the video, people would just accept it at face value. Yeah, I could totally see something like that happening.
Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Rough Grange. You know, we do lots of cool things for our pets. Grooms, cuddles. We pet them. Uh, we feed them, take them on walks, but make sure we're giving them the nutrition they need because chances are that store-bought food that your pet loves is dead as a doornail when it leaves the warehouse. Same thing goes on with our food. Stripped of all those live organisms, the digestive enzymes, pre, probiotics, vitamins, minerals, nutrients, antioxidants. That's why we're taking so many supplements today. That's why your pet needs one too. And thankfully, they have one now. It's called Rough Greens. It's a powder that you mix in with your pet's food that they already love, and they're going to love it even more uh, because it's also not just going to make it even taste better, but it's going to put back in all the good stuff that probably was taken out for mass consumption and mass distribution. If you want to see, if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less, try the 14-day Jumpstart Challenge today when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze let's get to the montage some some satires just write themselves such as time magazine noting joe biden's dogged focus and pursuit of a cure for alzheimer's moving on um This is a struggle that I could be down with. Black Lives Matters raised $90 million last year, according to AP. Dude, you can slap me silly and call me Shirley. In fact, Pyongyang, there's a lot I will allow you to oppress me with for $90 million. Now, even I have limits. So no, um, listening to Rachel Levine karaoke Wayne Newton not enough money but anything short of that anything short of forcing me over the course of one week on loop to be tied to a chair as Rachel Levine belts out Dunkashane short of that which is probably a war crime short of that literally anything else no body part off limits I'm yours for $90 million. So say we all agree. Are we agreed on that? Second. You might get a Nobel Peace Prize rep put in there too. Yes. Yes. Uh, Alexa, why is there so much fixation on making it look like America is still a racist hellhole from the 1950s? And Alexa responded with, Black Lives Matter raised $90 million with that messaging last year. (laughs) That's, That's good work. That is good work if you can get it. But where I think we... Oh, um, is it time for one of those the walls are closing in montages on Andrew Cuomo yet? Do you think or not? Have we reached the walls are closing in stage uh, for Andrew Cuomo? If Fox News does not have every one of its shows today claiming the walls are closing in on Andrew Cuomo, then I don't want to live in this world anymore. What's the even point of Fox News at this point? Right? But where I think we need to go, well, then there's the cult. I mean, what what you're doing to those school, school children in Washington State, I mean, that, that's Branch Covidian child abuse. All of those school officials should be arrested for child abuse. Every parent that consented to their child being subjected to that should also be arrested and charged with child abuse. 
Other than that, they're doing great. Other than that, I'm sure they have a wonderful singing voice. Uh, where we really need to spend our time today is the echelon poll of Democrat and Republican top concerns. And if you are, let me tell you something, COVID-19, unless you're over 70 and have a handful of comorbidities if you're under 70, is nothing for you to be afraid of. Now, the fascism that goes along with it, maybe that is, but that's not anything for you to be afraid of. Much of what you are told in our culture Uh, I've retweeted somebody this morning who pointed out that the New York Times was concerned about climate change and global warming back in 1923 with the polar ice caps. I believe in 1923, something like five people had ever even yet seen the polar ice caps. Okay. Um, (laughs) It wasn't much more than that. All right. Um, Most of what we are told in our culture today to be afraid of, it's, it's pointless to be afraid of. And yes, I, I know it's Theology Thursday. Send me, save me your hermeneutical, uh, you've not been given a spirit of fear, Jesus juke. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not talking on like a meta level. I'm talking like on, a, on the level that we live in this mortal shell. Okay. So. You just got an email. Yeah, five, in fact. The same amount of people that saw the polar ice caps back in 1923. Um, I'm going to tell you what you do need to be afraid of. We spend a lot of time on our show debunking all kinds of BS. Sometimes it's called panic porn, but a lot of it is fear-driven and fear-based, right? I mean, that's a a lot of what we debunk, what we call BS on on this show is fear-driven and or fear-based. I'm going to tell you something I think you do need to be afraid of. The results of that poll. Because you can see that there's, there's, it's congruent with action. What that poll essentially says is that the average Republican in America is concerned about what their neighbors and family members and countrymen who don't vote the way they do believe. On the other hand, that the average Democrat is concerned with what they believe and who they think their neighbor, family member, countryman who doesn't vote their way is as a person. That, first of all, should not surprise you. If it does, I want to live in your head. It's a happy place of, of naivete, dangerous naivete. But nonetheless, a happy place as it is. They've probably seen Tiger King. Yes, you've probably watched every episode. Yes. However, even if you thought you knew that, that... That's a dangerous place for us to be as a culture. And and don't tell me, well, it's a poll. Chances are, um, in, in that exchange between the two of us, one of us has actually done professional polling and the other one's you. So don't tell me that. 
we we can observe this. This is a this is not a revelation. It's a quantifying. This is this is quantifying for us in in a mathematical term what we are living through. What, what do you where do you believe cancel culture emanates from? Where do you believe unpersoning those I disagree with? Where do you think that emanates from? The idea that there's nowhere anywhere we can go as a culture anymore and not have somebody at your throat or you at theirs over something political, that everything's a war zone. Everything is. Any community gathering is. Church is. Whether to even open it, have it is. There's, there's, pardon the expression, no safe spaces. This is quantifying. This, this poll is, is, is quantifying for us what we're living through every day. Now, when you look at those numbers, and I don't know if you can pull that back up or not for us, Aaron, when you look at those numbers, it's not like overwhelming. It's, it's the top priority, but it's, it's in a collection of priorities. But don't take too much. Is it solace or solace? I can never remember. The former. It's solace. solace. Okay. Don't take too much solace in that. Here's why. Because that's actually been the case for many, many years. How many times on our show have we said the typical Democrat that you know in your neighborhood isn't one of these people, just wants more government typically than you do? Yet, how many of those individuals hold a public office of significance anywhere in America? The answer is almost none, actually. I mean, the... the, the spirit of the age that has overcome the Democratic Party. The, the spirit of the age that has overcome the Democratic Party. And you can see, I mean, they've got a lot of different priorities and those things are st- spread out over several different notions. But the spirit of the age that has overcome the Democratic Party is that video that was in Aaron's montage of the Democratic Congresswoman putting a flag commemorating mental illness. And I just want to reiterate this again. I'm never giving in on this. There will be no amount of shaming, no amount of pressure, no argument, no cajoling, no offer. I'm never affirming your mental illness crusade, ever. And I'm totally fine If my failure to do so means it's the last issue I ever get to publicly comment on to an audience of significance, I'm totally fine with it. And frankly, we've got too many damn people in this industry that don't have any hills to die on, which is why we're dying as a country. Commercial over, back to the conversation. The spirit of the age that has taken over the Democratic Party is that congresswoman putting out the flag commemorating mental illness. That pipe fitter dude that you went to school with back in the day and your kids have been on the same ball team together is becoming an endangered species. And frankly, when you look at the latest demographic trends, if he hasn't become a Republican already, he's probably about to. This thing has this thing, and that's what it is. It's a spirit of the age. This thing has overcome a major American political party and really turned it into 
a, a, a house of worship, a religious zealotry. They're not doing politics over there. They're an inquisition. We're over here like, what's going to happen with what's going with Cheney? They're over there like, so what do you think of our dude with five o'clock shadow, seven chins, and, and bad hair? Isn't she beautiful, your new health minister? We're over here like, Man, I really hope I can stay on Twitter another week. How do I not get banned from Facebook? They're writing letters to major distributors telling them to take Fox News off the air. <laughs> We're so overmatched here. It's sad. Especially because it's an overmatching of our own choosing. We have chosen. We're the Esau's of this story, folks. We are. We have chosen. Give me the clickbait today. Give me the paycheck for talking points today. Give me the show and the soap opera in Washington today. Give me the own the libs today. Give me the funny ha-has today. Fill my mind and fill my belly with your nothingness. And I'll just come back tomorrow for more. And they're over there planting flags, literally, as they finish the long march through the institutions. We're having the same conversation every day. This is the same conversation I had yesterday about COVID. You're waiting for an all clear that is never going to come. Fauci is literally saying, don't open restaurants while they're reopening in New York City. His own hometown. He's never giving you an all clear. You're going to have to get up off your ass and become an American and just do it. Do the thing. Do it. Likewise, this isn't going away either. You can quote all the chromosomal studies you want. You can quote all of the statistics. You can have you can have that dude who finished 241st place three years ago at the NCAA track meet, decided he felt pretty, and then won the national championship. Remember that story? Of course. You can throw all those at these people you want. They don't care. It's like asking a Jehovah's Witness, why are you knocking on my door again this Saturday when you claim only 144,000 people are going to be saved? There's 4.3 million of you. You've got your own problems without bothering me. It's already too late for me. How are you assured that you're going to heaven? Why the hell are you bothering me? I'm trying to mow my damn lawn on a Saturday. And it's already hot as hell out here. And they just look at you and they just blink. And they go right back to, did you know only 144,000 will be saved? It's a cult. They're not just like, oh, wow. Thank you. Dunk a shame. Thank you. No, no. No. You're going to have to defeat this. You want to know how to defeat it? You have to shame it. Humiliate it. Let me repeat that. Shame it and humiliate it. You know, like we're going to talk about in the overtime today that Rand Paul did earlier this morning. You have to make such insanity 
such evil, literally just incomprehensible. I even say that right. Incomprehensible. We wouldn't even think of going there for fear of the blowback. We wouldn't even try it. We won't entertain it. We won't humor it. It has to be stomped. In the arena of ideas, it has to be curb stomped, humiliated. Uh, Otherwise, all those who gaze upon the beast will marvel at it. They need to see that the emperor here has no clothes. There's nothing there. Otherwise, people will just fall in line with something they don't believe because the cultural pressure to do so is just too high. So whom will go? Whom shall we send? Well, folks, the answer is us. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do it. We're going to have to make enemies. We're going to have to risk platforms. Because short of this, I promise you, unless there's revival, and that comes from above, your way of life is over. It's over right now. You're just negotiating terms of retreat and surrender. It's over. I was on a radio show this morning with a local host in a major market. Great conversation. And he mentioned, I'm old. I'm an old man now. It seems to me like it's over. I'm not an old man. And I said to him at the time I was talking to him early this morning, I got three teenagers upstairs. I'm going to war. I might be the last man standing, but we're going to find out. And you're going to you're going to pry away my way of life from me, from my cold, dead fingers. I'm not going down. I'm not getting punked. I might lose. That's why we have history books. Guys like me lose sometimes. Civilizations like this lose sometimes. But I'm not going quietly. To the last. To the bitter end. And may it be bitter. I like bitter. I live in bitter. Todd drinks vinegar for fun. And he's Catholic. So bitter's really just how he rolls. <laughs> but that's what it's going to take. You know, we sit around here wondering where is the dad that's going to come out of the stands at the track meet when his daughter's been displaced by a dude? How about where's the dad in Washington State who saw a picture of that they did that to his kid and and said, hell no, hell no, hell no, we're not doing that. I'm going to put the school board members in those things, zip them up. Put them in the janitor's closet. And then we're going to have high school band practice. This all goes on because we tolerate it. That's why. 
Not because the Republican Party sucks, although that's true. It's not because of any of those reasons. Why does the Republican Party suck? We tolerate that too. We tolerate that too. All of this happens because we tolerate it. Don't lie to yourselves any longer. No more excuses. No more victim shaming, blaming. That's what the other side does. This happens because we tolerate it. Where did this environment come from in my home state? Where our legislature and governor just does stuff like this. They just, we, they found a lucky penny. It took years of building organization in this state. Changing the environment of this state. Years. But we did it. And we're enjoying the fruits of it now. Iowa should never be more free than Texas. But it is. And that's on you, Texas. That's on you. All of this is on us. We have tolerated this. Do you know when you're going to get your life back? When you take it back. Do you know when this wickedness will cease to be on the march? When you stand up to it. And not a moment sooner. Back here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Till the come, Theology Thursday. Three non political questions, but let's get to our guest today. Rachel Bovard is the Senior Director of Policy for the Conservative Policy Institute. Rachel, my name is Steve Dace. Good to have you with us here on Blaze TV. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, the timing of this conversation, uh, given the uh, turnover the money changer level of righteous indignation that Rand Paul was exhibiting uh, this morning in real time, uh, is very fortuitous. And we're going to discuss the Equality Act. First of all, for, for the uninitiated, tell our audience what this is. So the Equality Act is a legislative effort to take what the Supreme Court did in Bostock v. Clayton County, which is to read gender identity and sexual orientation into Title VII of the Civil Rights Act and just go absolutely bananas with it and create an entire legal structure around it. Um, basically, you're opening the door to, you know, anyone who claims, you know, they're a man identifying as a woman or vice versa is now a protected class under federal law. This opens up a huge area for discrimination lawsuits, but also a whole new uh, class of rights for these individuals in ways that are going to, I think, really attack the ways in which religious conservatives live, traditional conservatives live, and also undermines, obviously, the scientific and biological consensus we have over what it means to be a male and a female. So in other words, this is essentially, uh, ENDA was the legislation uh, that um, uh, what I liked, what I dubbed many years ago, the rainbow jihad, ENDA was their holy grail on that front. In the end, hey, the marriage uh, stuff was great. The reality is if you look at marriage rates among same-sex couples, they're extraordinarily low. Um, that really, though, the, the holy grail that they wanted was ENDA. That's what that political movement wanted, that that would cement them as a force uh, on a civil rights uh, uh, basis for, you know, forever. But it took years and years and years uh, for that thing to become a mainstream proposition. In about 10 minutes, we're going to do this with 
gender dysphoria and that, that we're going to endize it with this bill, basically, right? That's right. Two things this bill does that I, I want to sort of, I think, illustrate how far it's willing to go. And the first is that it actually gives a right to people to have access to shared spaces based on their gender identity. So it is now it will now be a federal right for a man identifying as a woman to have access to a woman's locker room or a woman's bathroom or, you know, anywhere little girls are. Essentially, he's allowed to say and under federal law, he will be allowed to demand access to those spaces because he identifies as a woman. Um, The second thing it does is that, you know, the way Title seven is written, it doesn't allow discrimination based on sex, but it has a carve out when sex is what what did they call a bona fide occupational requirement. So areas in which it would be best to have a woman performing those services. So intimate care, you know, home giver care or anything around, you know, sort of very, very intimate personal care. It allows people to have gender identity exceptions to that. So, again, a man can now apply for and receive and be titled to have a federal right to a job, you know, where previously was basically held open to women because of the very sensitive nature of those jobs. So again, it's allowing gender identity to really trump not only biology itself, but a lot of the safety, security, and propriety concerns that our society is built around. This is insane. (laughs) It is. I mean, I I just, (laughs) we we could could come up with a lot more scholarly, academic way to describe this, but this is Dr. Island of Dr. Moreau level of of insanity. I mean, that's, and sometimes you just turn the money changers over. You don't do a white paper and you just, you just call it like what Rand is doing in real time. I mean, it's just the idea that the president of the United States has an assistant health director who calls it quote, nuanced unquote about whether we counsel three, three year olds to mutilate their genitals because they're, they're concerned about their gender. Rachel, that's just, it's just, it's just insane. It is absolutely bananas. It's completely bonkers. But I think what's been sort of fascinating to me about watching this issue is that Rand Paul, where he should be the rule here, he is the exception yeah, among Republicans. Yep. And this has been true since Bostock v. Clayton County was handed down from the Supreme Court several months ago. You only and you know that opened the door to what we see now. You only saw three Republican senators raise any kind of objection to it. And the rest were quoted in articles being almost transparently relieved that the Supreme Court had dealt with this question so they didn't have to. We're seeing this now play out around the Equality Act as well. Democrats didn't waste a single a single minute. The Supreme Court gave them an opening. They went down and pushed that crack wide open with this bill. And where are the Republicans? Where are the people standing up for the millions of of traditional religious conservatives? You don't even have to be religious. You just want to live in a world where your your girl child doesn't have to compete against men in her in, in on her track team or on her soccer team or men are not allowed in her locker room. Where are the Republicans on this question? There should be a lot more Rand Paul's, but there are not. I it, I have told our audience, Rachel, I, I think this is, if you've wondered what would be the last latch on a Pandora's box for a civilization, I, I really believe this is it. And and here, and I want to get find out if you agree or disagree, think maybe I'm going too far and that's okay. But let me explain why I, I believe that's the case. Because with, with other um, immoralities or um, moral evolutions or deviations, None of them, there's there's at least some place, yes, you can take it to a tyrannical extreme to impose your will on someone else. And we've, we've seen the Rainbow Jihad do that to the point that even Andrew Sullivan, who's kind of its godfather, uh, has basically said, you guys are going too far. I mean, you had the equality and stuff you want. You know, go live your lives. Don't, you know, don't be bullies. Um, and, and 
but this is different because there's there's nothing at, at this point you are altering you're not saying my behavior changes my identity but but there are a- other aspects of your behavior that if I don't agree with this aspect of it that I can affirm recognize or find someplace where we can f- live together in commonality as Americans you are basically telling me I have to defy and deny reality itself in order to engage with you as a human being that i have to ignore reality i have to i have to i have to from a from a religious standpoint i have to defy my creator at a fundamental level in order to engage with you on the level that you require you're 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 the way you want to live is literally forcing me from the outset of this engagement relationship to choose between God or you. And then on a, just a civil civic level, you're telling me I have to deny any form of even what Ayn Rand would have called objective rationalization whatsoever. There's no place whatsoever where I don't have to certify your psychosis. I don't know how you can live with that. It's very clear. It doesn't plan on living with you. I mean, I, this sounds like a zero-sum game to me. Am I blowing this out of proportion? I don't think you are. And it's because of what you just said in that last sentence, that this is now a zero-sum game. Because, you know, the first step t- down this path was that we lost the social consensus around basic facts. We, we have no social consens- consensus or national consensus over biology anymore. And that was troubling in and of itself. But I think we're taking it down this path even worse path, which is that you cannot even disagree with that anymore, right? It's one thing to say, okay, well, we we don't have a consensus. We have two uh, poles of disagreement on this issue, but at least we can talk about it. At least we can respect each other's point of view. We don't even have that anymore. Anyone that holds a traditional view of biology, which Mm -hmm. I would call a scientific view of biology, is now rendered a bigot, is told that they are committing, you know, hate speech, is deplatformed from public life. And if this bill passes, we'll now be subject to criminal penalty for holding a belief that is purely rational, scientific, and supported by 2,000 years of human existence. So that, I think, is a recipe for absolute disaster. And I don't actually think a self-government or you know, a, a, a democratic consensus can hold if this is how we're going to treat dissent and debate in this country. You know, there's a, this, is, this goes back, folks, to what I was saying before we had Rachel come on. There's a big hullabaloo about a bill in Tennessee right now forcing the college players and the, the athletes in the state uh, to stand for the anthem. Listen, I think people ought to stand for the anthem. Do you understand that that's, <laughs> we're playing in that sandbox, man. And over there on the other side, they're basically going to make it if, if they get their way. That if you think it's literally insane, if not evil, to let a five-year-old castrate themselves against their parents' will, then you can just be deplatformed and shunned from civil society. I mean, I, I they're just operating this thing at a different level than we are, Rachel. Well, they are. And I think it's because this point of view, this very progressive, you know, which is now actually becoming establishment democratic view, holds cultural power. It holds political power. It holds power in Hollywood. It holds power in social media. It 
honestly holds corporate power. So all of these areas of interfacing with public life are oriented in one democratic progressive direction, which gives, you know, conservatives, Republicans, anyone who just disagrees or has counter narrative political beliefs, nowhere to hide or nowhere to even go to as an alternative. And I think when you start making our laws reflect this as well, again, it's it's a, the center cannot hold and you're actually creating two separate countries in one geographic location. It is not what our democracy was founded on. It is not the democratic pluralism that we've enjoyed for, for the last several centuries. I think the consequences here are going to be severe. Just final thing, what's the fate of this legislation? So it's up for a vote in the House uh, very shortly. It will then go to the Senate. Um, the Senate will be the, the uphill battle, I think, for this bill. I don't know yet that it has 60 votes. But again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. You see very few Republicans be outspoken about this issue. Again, mm-hmm. they were all transparently relieved that the Supreme Court dealt with it. So I think if people care about this issue, the Senate is where they need to be focusing their attention because that's the last bulwark against a bill like this passing. If they were allowed to vote, if Republicans were allowed to vote for this in secret, how many do you think would vote for this? Too many. Yeah, that's <laughs> I think the right you, answer. you get at least at least five to seven out of the gate yep. uh, publicly, perhaps secretly, probably even more. Richard Bovard, uh, great uh, work. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciated the conversation. Wish it was under better circumstances, but a pleasure to meet you. All right. Take care. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, you might need a drink after that. Thankfully, this portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Bonner Private Wine. If you enjoy wine, then you need to try uh, the Extreme Altitude Wine from Bonner Private Wine. It comes from Argentina. They make it up at these remote vineyards at 9,000 feet, miles away from civilization. The result, an inky red wine uh, that has no dyes, no flavor additives. The best part is the flavor, blackberry, leather, smoke, a little dark cherry. The three of us have all each tried a bottle of this stuff. It is absolutely fantastic. You can head over to PatriotWine2021.com right now. All right. And no inflated prices. You'll get top quality foreign wine for about half the po- half the cost right now. Uh, 50% off of shipping today at PatriotWine2021.com. Again, that's PatriotWine2021.com. Thoughts on that conversation, Aaron and Todd? Um, well, the good news is that we don't need the Equality Act anymore. Um, just breaking here in the last uh, few minutes as we were talking to Rachel, uh, the toy company Hasbro has uh, renamed Mr. Potato Head to just Potato Head um, in an effort to be gender inclusive. So um, no, no real need for any new legislation. So uh, just happy to report that. We don't even need. We don't even need a Babylon Bay. Nope. don't even need it. Just need corporate America. Yeah, yeah. Just don't even need a Babylon Bee anymore. I was providentially convinced for a while after having four daughters that I was probably put on this earth to protect them in a unique way that goes just beyond them. And now, listen, if it's Dr. Strange saying one in how many million have a shot at defeating Thanos, because this Equality Act, it's Thanos snapping. It's just taking away reality, the good, the true, and the beautiful, like that. Well, I'm happy to play the role of Iron Man in this one. If, I, if I'm the one, I, I, I'm going to go down swinging, fighting, doing whatever it takes to put an end to this thing. The spring is here. My daughter's track seasons and soccer seasons are about to start. They get the season back that they lost last year. 
and this is happening right at this I'm, I'm a little salty right now don't don't push me on this because if it's just between me and you you're gonna lose i promise you there just needs to be there needs to be more of you this stuff is not going to stop all they have until guys, we stop all they, it all they have is why are you obsessed with children's genitals that's their comeback that's the left's comeback why are you obsessed um, this this practice is evil why are you obsessed with children's gen- that's that's all they have and yet we're too afraid to do anything about it this isn't this isn't this goes this goes beyond a discussion of sin and how far society should go in prosecuting that this is we're literally talking about people mutilating themselves permanent scarring of themselves mentally and physically and and children and some things that how many how many people that have left home how many people have, have left homosexuality have we had on this show over the years quite a few quite a, several quite a few, yeah. quite a few. This is this is this is way beyond that. Way beyond that. This is literally mutilation as public policy. Incentivizing it, encouraging it. The kinds of things that do permanent damage to somebody's soul, psyche, body. That even if Later on, afterwards, they come into a right relationship with their Heavenly Father and understand now why they were made male or female. The physical byproduct of what they did to themselves is, may not be undone. The amount of counseling that they will require for years and years and years to make things right At some point, folks, we have to say the line must be drawn here. Now, it should have been drawn 10 spaces ago, 10 issues ago at something else. But at some point, we need to say as an industry, as a movement, as Americans, the line must be drawn here. Here and no further. No. If this isn't it, then go ahead and and get your double mask on. You earned it. If this isn't the place where we dig in our heels and say, no more, then go ahead and double mask, triple mask. Maybe choke yourself out. Your principles, convictions are dead already anyway. And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. I've got 400 emails in my inbox right now. 
Is that a lot? Is, do you think it's probably time I start going through those? <laughs> Gosh, sorry, sorry. You know what? I'm working on this Fauci book, man. It's hard to stay inside the lines. Uh, I'm, I, and I just want to keep working on it. And so I'm getting, I'm going to get back to the emails. I promise. All right. Feel free to have yours. Law. I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, read later at a later date. At Steve at stevedace.com. Join the over 400 sitting in there right now. Uh, you can also look us up on the socials. Uh, Gab, MeWe, Facebook. Uh, look and like Steve Dace there. Follow at Steve Dace on Parlor at Steve Dace Show on Twitter. And if you're looking for clips of the program, youtube.com slash Steve Dace is where you're going to find them. As well as rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, uh, we have three non-political questions. If you're a podcast listener, please show how much you like the show by hitting that subscribe button, leaving us a five-star review if you like it. Actually, if you don't, hit the subscribe button anyway. But uh, the more of you that do that, the more it helps the podcast to grow. Uh, the algorithms, the mysterious Skynet that runs our lives these days, apparently likes it when you like us. And then they'll find other people that helps uh, that also may someday like us as well. All right. So please keep that up. Thanks to the thousands of you that have left us those five star reviews already. Keep pounding, smashing that subscribe button. Thank you very much. Uh, Theology Thursday brought to you by our friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com. Now, this is a necessity anytime you're getting into the real estate market. This can be one of the more stressful times in your life, particularly if you're doing uh, burning the candle at both ends. You're selling the home you're in and also buying a new one. All right, so whether you're just going one way or doing it both ways, um, no way you should go into the real estate market, particularly in these unprecedented times. Bing. Thank you. Without a real estate agent that you can trust, and thankfully, the name kind of says it all on where you will find said person. Uh, an organization started by Glenn Beck and some of his friends who were tired of real estate agents who talked a good game, but then when they were uh, needed the most, it was time to deliver couldn't do so. So they didn't want that same fate to happen to you. That's why they started realestateagentsitrust.com just about anywhere in America. We can find you an agent whose track record of success has been fully verified and validated at realestateagentsitrust.com. So let's get to Theology Thursday as we continue the study of my most recent book, A Nefarious Carol, the sequel to the 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, which we are turning into a motion picture as we speak. And in this novella sequel, now that Lord Nefarious has successfully taken down America, the devil himself has come out of the shadows in order to use America as the launch pad for the final stage of his master plan for world dominion. But for that plan to be consummated, he needs to consummate a relationship of his own. He needs a bride that will give him his own son, if you will. And in this book, you read his attempt to woo our heroine, Ray. And the first stage of that wooing process is he had to establish empathy, legitimacy with her. And he did that last week in chapter one, The Offer. And now he wants to take her through her past to help her find meaning for the life that she is living now. And that's why this chapter is, simply enough, titled The Past. No, we're in the present. Oh, did we do The Past last yeah. week? We did already? Yeah. Oh, wow. So we're two weeks into this then. Yeah. <laughs> it's your show, though. Yeah. Now you know, I, dude, I am <laughs> totally 
uh, overcome trying to get this Fauci book done. So you guys can have it as soon as possible. All right. Well, now he's in the present. Okay. My bad. Thank you. You bet. Uh, well, she, I'm still living in the past. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. Ray was feeling pretty confident at the end of the past, a little uh, uh, skip in her skip, in her step. And so at the beginning of the uh, present, there's some banter uh, uh, going back and forth. And he, uh, the devil, clearly realizes he, he needs to reframe the power strike. He likes her confidence, but he's got a mission to accomplish. And yes, it's he realizes that it's it, there. She may be more than just somebody to say yes to this thing and say her child. He sees something in her that may be worth more than that to her. Mm -hmm. But it's something that has to be boxed in. It has to be uh, tamed. And it's really interesting. In order to get the conversation back on track the way he wants to, it's like the White Witch after she kills Aslan, and but she adorns herself with his mane in the, before they go to battle. Right, right. They, they, despite her hatred of him and deep desire to defeat him, she so badly wants to be him because she. Ex the devil explains to Ray, I don't desire recreation or ritual from you, but a relationship. Mm -hmm. We all can... God talking, I don't, this stench of your incense, mm -hmm. things like, how conscious were you of this level of mimicry and him using it because he knows it's perhaps one of the most powerful weapons that he has? Very. Uh, this was very purposefully done. And throughout the book, you get a thread of commonality and it's uh, counterfeitism. That everything here that the enemy is attempting to do is a mimicking uh, a, 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 his own um, variation on a theme. Because ultimately, ultimately... Appropriation, uh, if you uh, will. Uh, um, providential appropriation? <laughs> yes, I like that. that. That ultimately, what is his motivation? I will be like the Most High. I will ascend, Right. Um, what is the original lie? Ye be like God. So everything that is being done here um, is being done both out of rage at God and jealousy of God. And he would call it mockery. I, I believe if, if if you put the Wonder Woman lasso of truth around uh, around uh, the enemy and and asked him about all these obvious um, mimics, contours, impersonations, he would call them mockery. I, I think he believes that they're mockeries, that he is making a mockery of God by doing by going about this and doing it this way. But the truth of the matter is that these that that he can't help. See, he has the God-shaped hole in his heart, too. He can't help the heavens declare the glory of his name. He can't help but recognize the ultimate truth either. And the fact that he seeks to mock it so, from, from his motivational standpoint, really indicates that he needs and requires this order as well. He's mimicking it, but he just wants himself to be at the top of that order instead of God. <laughs> After saying, Who does that sound like, by the way? Who's that sound like? 
Like modern progressivism? That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. That it is not, it is, it is not a repudiation of God. It's a replacement God. That's what it is. It has its own creation mythos, Darwinism. It has its own moralities, its own judgments. Um, but that the goal here was, this isn't Nietzsche. God is dead and we have killed him. No, this is, we're, the, we're God now. We get to, we, we have, this is the new God now. This is a replacement. It's a mimicking of it. Yeah. Or a bastardization, if you prefer. This, can I, can I oh, add something? Of course. Something? So Always. Just, this is why I've made the point before that progressivism does not wish to kill you. It, wish, it wishes to enslave you. Mm-hmm. What can, what can you have, what, what, what do you have most control of for the long run? An enslaved person or a dead person? Right. Right. And, and what is, by the way, in the, this is another mimicking. In the New Testament, what does Paul say? We're all going to be what to something? Slaves. Slaves will either be bonded to Christ or bonded to our sin. Right? Okay. Yes. Now, the point, though, of being bonded to Christ is freedom. That, that selling yourself out for him, is, is the, is, that's the paradox here. That's the path of Christianity. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. What did that mean? When, when we, these things don't make a lot of sense to us in the 21st century. All right. So a, a guy that the community recognized as a rabbi in first century Judea, using that language, that's not, that is very precise and specific language. And what was going on at that period of time is you often, if you, if you were being discipled by a rabbi, you carried his yoke. For example, all the scrolls of the Torah, right? They had no, they, this is pre-printing press. So they, they had to carry all of these scrolls. You ever read the length of the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah? They're a tad long. The Psalms, it's not, there, there's no Reader's Digest version here. So you carried all the scrolls of the Torah, you may uh, carry what amounted to his luggage. You, that was part of what you did, is you carried his yoke. What Christ is saying is you will do that as well as my disciples, if I'm your rabbi. But my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Why? Because I'm actually taking your burdens upon myself. When you give yourself over to me, you're actually getting freedom in exchange. Bondage to me is freedom. Bondage to the world is bondage. That's what you're talking about there. Yep. And that's that is what that is what the spirit of the age wants. That's that's why I have I have I've said from the very beginning on this show. In the end, progressivism is about two things. And what are they about? What what are those two things? Power. Power and control. What is the enemy about? Power and control. That answer your question? Yes. Yeah. Well, that conversation that started this chapter that I alluded to, it, it starts off with the devil asking Ray, "Why are you here?" And she she kind of gives some playful pushback. Like, what do you mean? Why why am I here? You know why I'm here. You're the you, you, mm-hmm. you know better than anybody why I'm here. What kind of game are we playing? Let's yeah. do this past, present, future thing. Yeah. He's and this he needed to reframe this and refocus her. And this is where uh, there's specificity around um, him mimicking and mocking because I see the Catholic 
confessional in what you did here. And I think even Protestants in a general notion of confessing sin uh, will agree. What's at stake? Because he says, no, 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 no. I need you to tell me why you believe you are here to get to the truth. A ca- a Catholic, the formalizing of the Catholic confessional is, we, we all, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I did this. How much do you really own that? How much do you really put that right. on the table? Is it just a rote process? Y- yes, and I know yeah. you two b- believe that too. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I was, I saw an active usurping, mocking mimicry of the devil here with the whole notion of confession because he demands we cannot go forward with this if you're serious about this unless you put this on the table. And to get her there, he quickly touches her forehead. Mm -hmm. And she goes from that cocky, confident one to she screams out, make it stop, make it stop. But then she... it does reset her and she refer- and she confesses it and she says i have nowhere else to go and i'm afraid and she has to say that out loud and mm-hmm. own it before she's allowed to see the present why because she requires for her to give him for her to give herself over freely to the enemy Remember, this is not a temptation in a generic temptation. This is not the enemy attempting to woo in front of us that which we're tempted by. Um, and it's always a sliding scale to, to stop you um, from, uh, from salvation. Okay, if I can't stop you, then to stop you from sanctification. Okay, if I can't stop you, maybe I can slow down uh, your sanctification process today and get you to do something that uh, is a mistake you'll regret the rest of your life that you never made ever again or ever before. But today I got you to do it, and it ruined your life and the life of some, you know, several. Meaning, this is always being negotiated down. Well, how about this? How about that? Mm-hmm. What, what can I get out of this? This particular dalliance is different because. For this to happen, essentially, Ray is in need of salvation. He, that's what he's offering her. For her to freely, not just, all right, you're the drug dealer, and I'm the junkie, and you're offering me a hit of what I want. For her to become, of her own free will, his disciple, his partner, means that, that her life requires a reboot. She requires, in some essence, to be, pardon the expression, born again. He's offering that to her. He's offering her in his own twisted, warped way. He's offering her salvation. That's what he's offering her. And this is how he does it. By getting her to confess that she is afraid, he he goes on to say, see, that's what you humans claim uh, to hate fear yet you feast on it. And here he's absolutely right. And I think this is so powerful, even outside of the context of what we talk about in this book. What's going on in our world right now? COVID, masks, lockdowns. Take it from me, Ray, for I know a thing or two about fear. It is the most paralyzing and poisonous force on this planet. Fear is the toxin that stops good people from taking a stand for what's right. 
fear is what empowers bad people to go unchallenged. Fear brings out the absolute worst in your kind. I have lived many of your lifetimes, Ray, and of this fact of life on earth, I am convinced based on everything I have seen throughout the eons, all of the worst decisions made by human beings throughout history were made out of fear. We are taught by our Lord to be not afraid. Mm -hmm. If you had no frame of reference for what I just read you and asked you, did God say this or the devil? Mm -hmm. You'd pick God. Mm -hmm. This is the devil Mm -hmm. and how he's to use this. So that's, this is a follow-up question to what I just asked you. How, what are his motivations for, again, I mean, he keeps doubling down on taking from God to destroy God's place in this woman's world. It's absolutely fascinating. So the reason why this is going to be the second or third time I'm going to do this today in, in, in this theology Thursday, I'm going to make a direct, draw a direct comparison or a direct corollary to what we see happening in our culture is because what's happening in our culture comes from the guy we're talking about. That's why I'm doing it. But my, those, those dots are easy to connect. It's just whether we're willing to or not. Um, the spirit of the age we're up against is not from above. It's from the other place, from down below. The first thing the spirit of the age did is it unleashed political correctness and postmodernism on the culture. And and it, and it, it, it unleashed them as a one-two punch. Political correctness was meant to be done to stop you from having agency to push back against this peaceably in the arena of ideas. Postmodernism was done, um, it, it was, was, was essentially a swarm of locusts unleashed on a rival king's crops in order to decimate their land um, of any food and supply chain so that they would be easy to conquer later on. But postmodernism was never, ever meant, which is essentially, what is postmodernism? Let me tell you what it really is. A belief in literally nothing. Postmodernism is a nice, fancy term for nihilism. Subjectivism. Except they just marry each other, and if they had a child, it would be postmodernism. This was never, ever meant... The, the, the adherents and disciples of the spirit of the age never, ever meant for there to be no absolute truth. They just said it all those years to get the power they wanted and take that power away from you. It was always done with the intent that of once the power was taken away from you, it was always done with the intent of going from four legs good, two legs bad to four legs are good. But two legs are even better. And now the pigs themselves walk on their hind feet in the farmer's home. And they looked from man to pig and pig to man and back to pig again. And they couldn't tell which was which. It was always going to, this was always going to end here. The darkness never, it tempted us with, you can, you can accommodate both of us and avoid confrontation. And for a generation or two, we said, you know what? You're right. Another Pleasant Valley Sunday. But this was, that was always a lie. And it was always for the darkness to buy itself the time until it could have the advantage. And then once it had the advantage, you would learn that tolerance is always Tolerance Boulevard. Every time you turn upon it, it will be a one-way street. 
It had no intention of accommodating you and I whatsoever. It just had to wait until it had to lie to us, make us fall for it, which we gullibly did, and then just wait and bide its time until it had the advantage. And then once it had the advantage, boot, meat, throat. It's goose step in time. That's what's going on here. Nefarious is the general of postmodernism. Nefarious, postmodernism is the Navy SEAL of hell. They have done their job. They have gone in and made this a highly conquerable people and culture. And so now that the established order is gone, they never meant for this to be just chaos. They just wanted to deconstruct us and what we believe. Now that that has been accomplished, it is time for some urban renewal. It is time for the new world order to come into play. And now you're going to find that the enemy's totally fine with people starting their lives over, getting a new lease on life, getting a second chance at things, provided he is the object of worship and the beneficiary of those actions instead of God. And that's what's going on here, is the enemy now wants to be worshipped. He doesn't want to be the prince of darkness anymore. He wants to be like the Most High. And so we find out what the present is. Not long before she ended up in this room. We don't know exactly how long, but it, 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 it's a re- relative recent vintage. Ray had an abortion. She killed her child. And it sets up, uh, she sees the picture of when she drove her car into the parking lot. And uh, a woman who works at the uh, abortion clinic, or the, is it officially a Planned Parenthood off the top of my head? Mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, walks up to her and her name is... What, Steve? Who's the woman who works there? Uh, I, I get through in a little Easter egg there. Yeah. The name is Abby. The name yes. is Abby. Yes. And uh, convinces uh, the woman to come on side. Everything's good. And as they're walking through the parking lot, there's the little awkward moment where uh, Ray says, uh, I think I just felt it kick. I, I love that you did that because it's a very simple way of taking this out of the theoretical mm-hmm. it was a very human moment and they awkwardly looked at each other even abby did and didn't quite know what to say and they marched right into the furnaces and killed the baby anyways mm-hmm. it was a i mean storytelling sometimes it's really complex uh and it's a, a 1000 page russian story sometimes it's one line like that that tells a story and uh so she wakes up to the from the present after being shown it, and she's crying, and she says, I killed my baby. And here the devil says, no, you saved it. Here's what he tells her. There is no greater position of leadership than mother. And that's not as simple as right and wrong. Life is more complicated than that. And then he goes again, just like I've talked before, the the, the mimicry, it, it, it's, 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 the power is its consistency in this chapter. He said, the devil says, my favorite Bible verse is there is none righteous, not a single one. He says, no one has any standing to judge you. He goes back to, this is all fear-based. You're, you're, you're afraid of what other people, you've always been afraid of what other people think of you. They have no standing to think badly of you. And so Ray is hearing about this and her, her internal dialogue is the devil is talking to her and she's thinking to herself that she is the victim this mm-hmm. is modern again yes. it's modern day victimology yep. and and she should not be ashamed she the devil says i chose you because of how brave you were in making the tough 
You got impregnated by a thug drug dealer who probably would have abused your child even worse than you or turned the child into something even worse than him. Unlike God, the enemy says you didn't just wait for things to happen. You acted. You acted affirmatively, preemptively, and you realized that that child was better off never being born. You're the hero, Ray. That's what he tells her. You can't help. You already beat me to the punch, but that's where I plan on going anyways. You can't help but read this, that I, I don't know what time we have left, what our children have left, what this earth has left, but progressivism is, it's, is, is evil's finest hour. It is, it's, 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 it's symphony. Yes, it is because it's the, it's the top rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's where it always wanted to go. It never, ever, you know. The worst in you is always somebody else's yes. fault. Yes. Because ultimately this has been about, I would be a better God than God. I would be a better creator than the creator. I should be God. You can be like God. That's what this has always been about. It's never been a, the chaos and everything else was, was a will to power. It was a means to an end. BLM is riding, BLM didn't raise $90 million last year because they guilted a whole bunch of, 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 of pathetic white guilt-ridden people into giving them 20 bucks at a time. No, folks. That's not what happened. That $90 million, they didn't raise it. They earned it. They earned it. They did their job. They were the stormtrooper militant wing of the Democratic Party. They intimidated the hell out of their political opposition and mainstream the most militarized and, and radicalized talking point uh, or, or talking points within their party even got emblazoned in the end zones of NFL games. BLM didn't raise $90 million from poor black folks in the hood, paying them two or three bucks at a time. Now, BLM got that money from Warner Brothers with a production deal. Netflix, they earned that money because they did their job. Their job was to clear out the previous belief system so that the new one could come in. There's no Rachel Levine today without BLM. This has never been about perpetual chaos. That's not what this has ever been about. This is about chaos as a will to power. And then... Once we have the power we want, no more chaos. Now, we just define chaos differently. Chaos is now defined as you having a different viewpoint, wrong thing. You having a different viewpoint than what we approve of. That's chaos. So you must be punished. But they never, ever intended for there to continue to be 40 million people unemployed. This was all done to acquire power. And now that they have it, they plan on affirmatively using it to reset things in their own image. That's what the devil's talking about. Well, one of the last things the devil says, and at this point you're thinking, you go in one chapter from thinking she's 
she's not really going to say yes to this guy. At the end of this chapter, you think, of course, she's going to say yes to this guy. She says, you're a b- bravery is about making the tough call. And I pulled up short there, whether or not it is right. And he says, look at you. You had that abortion not long ago, but that was one of the last straws that caused you to leave your abo- uh, abusive boyfriend. That level of conviction in one circumstance gave you conviction in another circumstance. Mm -hmm. And here we are in this room and we're talking and you leave people at the end of this chapter thinking that inevitably this woman is going to be the mother of whoever, whatever spawn Mm -hmm. is planned uh, by the devil. So as as a matter of writing not even theology forget the whole book the storytelling you did to create the level of emotion you did in one yeah. small novella chapter to get you believing yeah okay maybe maybe not to, oh this this is going down i, I remember mean, well done yeah i just i, w- I want to echo that as well because i don't think i've really said that too much maybe i have on the show but i remember you reading the first chapter to me this is not i think i have said this before it is not campy it is a real real story i mean it is it is a real um um not a caricature whatsoever it's very impactful thank you but also keep in mind and this will be a tease for when we get to the end minus the light the darkness has a very compelling case minus the light the darkness has a very compelling case minus the light the darkness has a very compelling case If you like the conversation we just had about my new book, A Nefarious Carol, during Theology Thursday, you can read the story for yourself. Get a copy today at Amazon.com. You can get an autographed copy via Premier Collectibles if you want to bypass Amazon altogether. The link for autographed copies is uh, pinned to the top of both my Facebook and Twitter accounts. Twitter is at Steve Day Show. And otherwise, uh, get a copy Audible as well. Uh, the audiobook performed by my oldest daughter and I. So we've gotten a lot of good compliments about that so if you liked the book and had a chance to listen or read it please leave us a five-star review but if you like what you're hearing so far as we discuss it and you want to read it and share it for yourself with others we'd love that too just go to amazon.com pick up your copy of a nefarious carol some great news to share about our friends over at patriot mobile they have expanded their coverage dramatically which is going to make it even easier for more americans to dump the big name carriers who charge you way too much and then donate your money to those spirit of the age causes that's why you want to partner with patriot mobile they never send a penny to your opponents and they're never going to silence you uh, they're the only wireless provider out there that shares your values you can switch with confidence because they use the same network as the larger providers but charge you much less switching is easy keep your phone number bring your own phone if you'd like even get a new one if you prefer uh, build your own bundle with multi-line discounts and you can save even more veterans and first responders save even more than everybody else just to honor them for their contribution to the country just go to patriotmobile.com slash steve and find out that this month you get a free premiere activation where they set up the phone for you and a special gift when you go to patriot.com patriotmobile.com slash steve patriotmobile.com slash steve or give them a call their u.s based customer service team at 972 patriot again that's 972 patriot 
It's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, we need a break from the uh, demise and fall of Western civilization and the Equality Act. Three non-political questions. Question number one, aside from Texas and Florida, what would be on your Mount Rushmore of relocation mistresses in the United States? I love Tennessee. Uh, I mean, I, I love Tennessee. Uh, been to Nashville several times in recent years and saw a lot more of Tennessee last year when I went down to speak to a group of patriots just to, right around Valentine's Day, so shortly before the country shut down. I mean, but I, I love Tennessee. So Tennessee would be on the list for sure. And it's here's the other thing I like about it too. Um, so outside of Texas and Florida, you said? Yep. Okay. The other thing I like about, I like about Tennessee too is it's far enough north though that at Christmas time and stuff, he still might get a little of the, of you know, of the winter wonderland. Just but just enough, just enough. You know, like when we were there, Amy and I were for my speaking engagement over Valentine's Day weekend last year. It was probably like in the forties and fifties the weekend we were there, which for us this time of year felt great. So, but Tennessee would be high on my list. Um, I love Atlanta. Now, the traffic thing. Wow. Okay. I don't know how y'all do that, but Meridian is one of the most gorgeous, uh, probably suburb doesn't do it justice, but Meridian, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta, one of the most gorgeous suburbs, at least it's been, it was the last time I was there. Um, I, I, I like Georgia a lot. So I, Georgia, I could see me maybe on the outskirts of the Atlanta area with a studio in my house so I can avoid as much of like everything else about Atlanta is great except the traffic, man. It's just, it's oppressive. So that would be on the list. Um, how many? So I have to do four? Four. All right, so Tennessee, um, the, particularly the Nashville area or surrounding that area, um, the, the surrounding area around Atlanta, the Meridian area would be on that list. Um, trying to think of places I've been to that would definitely be on the list. Vegas would be on the list. For sure. No Vegas, state income tax. No state income tax. Vegas would be on the list. Um, that has actually one of the highest per capita church populations in the country, actually. Yeah. Did you know that? It's crazy. It's kind of crazy. I know I know. outside of the Strip, if you guys have been there recently, like all kinds of like family attractions and stuff there, so... Even on the strip, yeah, they've done that on the strip in the last. From being there in my twenties to when yeah. I was there a couple years ago for soccer, now. yeah, it's you a can, little different. It's, they yeah. they actually want families down yeah. there. You, you, listen, you can you can get you can get your total depravity on if you want. Oh but yeah, there's there's other things that you can do there as well. They just built that beautiful new stadium. You guys remember my very first favorite football team before I was a Michigan fan before I knew what the Detroit Lions were was the Raiders and Jim Plunkett. All right, so you know, I could so Vegas would be on that list. Um, and uh, I'm going to do this second hand. 
because I've been to Denver several times, but I've never been to Colorado Springs. And my wife went there a couple of years ago or several years ago now uh, for a, a national talent competition that her oldest was in, a singing competition, and just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, so, and I've just heard that from everybody who's been there, how much they love Colorado Springs. So I'm going to put that on the list sight unseen, just because of so many opinions of people I know who just swear by it. So, so Nashville or surrounding Nashville area, like the Franklin area there. Um, I'm, I'm for me, when it comes to big cities, I'm always going to be, I'm going to live on the outskirts suburbs guy. And then like a few times a year, if I want to go heart into the heart of the city for an event, fine but kind of stay away from that rigmarole, but just be, you know, around it. So the outskirts of Nashville, Meridian, outskirts of Atlanta, Vegas, and uh, so that's one area I don't really care about suburbs, and um, um, uh, Colorado Springs. Good question. I like that. Thank one. you. Yeah. So I need four. I don't four. just need two. Well, I would, uh, South Dakota has got to be on there. Uh, I mean, you just need people who are willing to step forward and lead their state like Governor Christy uh, Nome has. Um, See, I thought about South Dakota, then I realized we pretty much have everything in Iowa and our win their winners are even worse. worse. Yeah. Consistently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, but the, we, we got to pick four and it's okay. not, and okay. we're, we're leaving Iowa, so it can't be Iowa. So okay. it's going to be South Dakota. It's going to be uh, probably Oklahoma. Oklahoma has always seemed like Texas North to me, but maybe it's just Texas now, now that Texas is in Texas. So we'll go with... Uh, how many ugly emails are you getting about that theme that uh, we've carried forward the last I've couple actually, of days, by I've the way? I've got several from people saying, you're right. Yeah. Keep it up. You're, you're, you're waking us up. Okay. Listen, I want, I want Texas to tempt me once more. Yeah. All right. Because right now, I'm not the least bit tempted. Okay. Uh, I'll say uh, Arkansas. These are all states, by the way, that were in the top... 15 of the the stringency stringency thank yes. you so <laughs> oxford did come up you know that they probably even all right let's uh look at the thesaurus yeah. misery and come up with uh, the word with the most syllables that says misery index yes stringency yes yeah and um how about uh missouri I was almost, I was going, I, I, like I, was, Missouri. I was about to. I love the Missouri, Kansas City area. The Kansas City yep. is great. That's a, I, like, I love the Kansas City area, Missouri. I, I could go for that too. Yeah. I think for me, it's going to be, if, if I can't move to Florida, then it's going to be west somewhere. So Arizona, uh, notably northern Arizona. Um, Colorado is on there as well. Idaho and South Carolina. No, I've never been to, I've never been to South Carolina, so this is kind of like my Colorado, uh, to you, Steve. Uh, but I've just heard a lot of good things about South Carolina. So, so have I. Yep. Yep. And I thought about that. That as I was going through my list, I thought about that, and I went with Colorado Springs instead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Question number two. This is a little bit macabre. If you were murdered, <clears throat> who do you think would be the most likely person to murder you? Now you can name a name, or you can give a composite. Um, either somebody demonically possessed or some Republican establishment hack who I cost them their seat. Just be, and, and here's why I make those guesses because in my career I have faced, now maybe some of it is because I lived in Iowa, 
but in my career, I have faced far more pushback from uh, on a political level from Republicans than I have Democrats. So, uh, but if I had to guess, it would be somebody demonically possessed. The de- the devil's just had enough. This guy's got to go. All right. I'll take that as a compliment, by the way. Um, or, you know, some hacktastic GOP douchebag. Just I cost him a seat or something or her and just grabs the postal uniform with a disgruntled name badge and has at it. That'd be my guess. There's so many to choose from. <laughs> that's one of the greatest subtle brags we probably had on yes, the show. Yes, that's a bit of a humble there really brag. Are. Yes, yes. Can I leave it at that since I'm... I mean, there's so many people I've uh, outed publicly over the years because, you know, they just kept their their scam is doing everything in the dark and in the shadows and they don't seem to realize that I'm the guy who will go there. And so I go there and they haven't liked it very much. There's a lot of them. There's quite a list. And I prayed about it and I feel pretty good about it. I, I think for me, it's, it's any um, rando online. Uh, on Twitter, who tweets from his mom's basement, or more likely someday, somehow, um, a Karen who just just absolutely can, goes berserk. Can I ask what, pardon the pun, possessed you to ask this question? I thought it would be an interesting question to get you guys' reaction to. What's funny is I've never pondered who would be most likely to murder me. This is the first time I've ever been asked. And you see sometimes when he asks these questions, it takes me a while to come up with an answer. Man, I had an answer to that one pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure what that means. Uh, Final question. Question number three. What's the greatest non-NCAA tournament college basketball game in your memory? So it can be either a conference tournament or regular season. I'll just start out if you want to. Yeah, because I got to think about this one. You remember back in 2015? Remember back in 2015, it was, I believe, the battle for Atlantis, it might have been. Alabama versus Minnesota. And uh, Alabama got so many of their guys. Played four games, or somebody played four players or Alabama, yeah. Alabama had so many guys tossed from the game, they were down to three players. And they nearly came back on Minnesota and beat them. I think that's probably one of the greatest, just because there's so many um, college uh, basketball games that are played every year, and there's so many good ones, so many you know last second shots. One, it's hard to narrow it down. So just but from the novelty of it, you know, five on three and three nearly beats five. I think that's pretty cool. Um. Well, I mean, greatness could be the game came down to the wire. Could also be you just really enjoyed the heck out of yep. it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago, uh, when Michigan uh, swept the Big Ten tournament at Madison Square Garden, that final game against Purdue uh, is certainly on my list. When I was a kid, we played Indiana and Bob Knight on the last day of the. This is before the Big Ten had a tournament, so everything was decided during the season. On the last day of the regular season for the Big Ten championship, national TV on CBS. I think it was like '86. And uh, we, we Brett Musburger and Billy Packer are courtside, and we put something like 30-some-odd points on them. The Fab Five's freshman year, when they played Duke, who was number one with Leitner and Hurley, we lost that game, but uh, you, we weren't really sure how good we were with all these freshmen. And they forced overtime, and, and, and dang near beat them. And I remember thinking, that's one of the best I've ever felt about a loss ever. This team's going to be pretty good. I think... Um, um, there was a Saturday night 
uh, between Michigan and Michigan State for the Big Ten Championship about seven years ago. Yeah. Where we went into Breslin on national TV and and uh, and beat them in that game, and that was a great game as well. That that is high on the list. So, and then you start thinking about historic. I mean, I remember watching Patrick Ewing and 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 Reggie Williams in Georgetown against Chris Mullen and Walter Berry in St. John's. You know, growing up in the mid '80s, what those games were like. Um, you know, but those are some of the games that come to mind for me. Uh, when did uh, Michigan win the national championship? 87? 89. That's 89? Yeah. The, uh, wow, that, that, uh, that year, and this is when Wisconsin basketball uh, was not the Wisconsin basketball you know now, but uh, Wisconsin in the field house beat Michigan, and I was there. And that kind of crystallized to me I mean, I had been to the Fieldhouse games uh, before and didn't have season tickets or anything like that. Um, but you went there and you kind of saw, you know, we beat bad teams and we always lost to good teams. And th- the Fieldhouse was notorious for, I mean, it, it was called the barn. It it was shaking. And when Danny Jones and uh, Trent Jackson took down um, your guys, uh, Ramil Robinson mm-hmm. and um, Glenn Rice, Glenn Rice. Who, Glenn Rice was that guy who, I, I mean, I, I, I loved Glenn Rice. He was like Walter Payton Watching of college him basketball. Shoot was a yeah. symphony. Oh yeah, the most perfect shooting stroke yeah. I've ever seen in it's, my you life. You respected that yeah. team, so it's not a team I hated, mm-hmm. but we just beat them, and that place was going nuts. And it just like, oh now, now college basketball. I didn't play basketball as a kid, so now college basketball was in a DN uh, in my DNA on a level that's just never left. My sophomore year at Michigan State, I sat in the student section, which I often did, but I mean, I rooted for Michigan. It was the Fab Five sophomore year. And at the end of the game, it was a very ugly physical rock fight. At the end of the game, um, I think it was Jalen Rose and Chris Weber went over to the Spartan S at the Breslin Center, pulled their shorts down. Now they had like you know the 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 what are yeah. those the the, the the things they wear underneath their shorts? Right. They had so they it weren't bare bottomed, but they pulled their baggy shorts down and squatted down on the S like they were taking a dump on it. And that was the only time ever when I attended a Michigan State sporting event against Michigan that I thought my life could be in danger. And that I, I literally did the Homer Simpson gif where I just quietly <laughs> backwards walked my way out of the student section and back to the Wonders Hall dorm uh, because who knows what that was going to be like, you know, when you do something like that to a team. But that's another regular season memory that I have. Yeah, I, I think the closest I've ever come to something like that, I mean, it was 2014, this is a football game, 2014 when I Iowa, or when Minnesota just clobbered Iowa like 52 to 14 or something like that. Getting out of TCF Bank Stadium, not. Is that the one where you guys took all the goalposts away? Back no. To Iowa City? That no. was in the old Metrodome, right? No, no. This was just okay. a couple of years ago. Okay. All right. Yeah, some good memories there. All right. Of course, this country is about to be a memory, but we'll enjoy it on the way out the door. All right, we're going to stick around for our subscribers and record today's overtime. Rand Paul, Hero of the Republic, will tell you why. For the rest of you, back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.